Hey, podcast family, it is Miller. Thanks for tuning in. As always, we love you. We bless you. We pray for you. May you encounter God's presence through the preaching of his word. Uh, We look at a principle found in Genesis chapter 2, verse 5. It is an odd verse, but it has blessed me tremendously as a pastor. It's helped me understand Jesus's leadership in my own life and how I'm to lead and shepherd his people. Uh, I believe this will encourage you. Uh, If you're a husband, if you're a wife, if you're a mother, if you're a father, there are specific things for you. Uh, And then if you're single, I think there's a little wisdom as well. But these principles will transcend uh, whatever position you find yourself in. I think you'll be encouraged by it. So buckle up. Let's go. Jesus bless all ears that hear the preaching of your word. Thank you. Hey, if you have your Bibles, go to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis 2. It'll be in three scriptures, Genesis 2, Ephesians 5, and we're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 3. So I really want you to take notes. If you're a note taker, if you're not a note taker, become one. Uh, I want to equip you in the word, and um, I really feel like there's, there's uh, something for spouses and parents and single people. <laughs> I haven't forgot about the single people. Um, so... Uh, Let's just put our hand on our heart one more time. Lord, my heart is uh, open to you and um, your voice is our desire. And so we open up the sacred scriptures that are authoritative this morning that have the ability to divide uh, soul and spirit, bone and marrow, Lord. Uh, They hold all things that exist still by your word. And so we humbly submit our lives to your instruction. And so would you use a broken, weak man like myself to be that mouthpiece, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, uh, Genesis chapter two is where we're gonna start. Uh, We, we, Kevin mentioned it, we were at the Jesus Image Pastor Conference, close to a thousand pastors joined us. And we talked about um, building houses of God marked by the builder. that the presence of Jesus would be central again um, in the church. And that we just, we've, we've settled for far lesser realities and just really called pastors back to that place in our nation. And I'm highly encouraged. I think it was one of the most rewarding and honoring assignments that I've been a part of. I had to put Neosporum on my head <laughs> yesterday because I got carpet burned from yes. falling on the ground so hard when the Lord entered in. It was like, Friday night, it was like a a freight train. Um, The Lord came in such a, I don't know if I necessarily, you know, I've talked a little bit about the rapture and what that is. Um, I thought we got raptured. (laughs) It was like, he is here. And uh, you didn't want to move. And, um, And there's something about talking about the presence of God and and having a theology around the presence of God and a value for it, but, but to, to encounter that atmosphere which is present this morning, um, it, it just realigns us. It, it, it's a true north of sorts. And um, I, I said this last week, but I believe that you were created to regularly encounter the presence of God. That... that God in you and God with you, that there are spaces in time 
where he who is omnipresent desires to be especially present. Like he who, he who is everywhere all of a sudden manifests somewhere. And the one that you've known about, all of a sudden you know him. And, and I look back in my life and there are moments in time where I know I encounter the Lord in that place. Like I will remember Orlando, Florida at Church in the Sun, the back corner, because I actually went to the restroom, they were transitioning. And I went to the restroom and I came back in and something had shifted in that room and I fell to my face got carpet burn on my forehead and was plastered to the ground for 30 minutes. I will remember that place, that space, that time when my frail, weak, little me encountered big him. You were made for that. You were made for that. You were made for that. And I'm sorry if Just, I want to whet your appetite for more. Because it's like, once you taste that, you're ruined. You're ruined. You're ruined. You become an alien, a stranger on the earth. Because something has kissed your heart and, and it, 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 it takes a lifetime to figure out what was that. Who was that? And the more you know him, the more you realize I don't know him. The more you could connect and get a taste of him, the more you realize how thirsty and hungry and desperate you are. It's like, he's the well and he's the water. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's everything. He's, 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 he's our all in all. He's it. And just... Yes, and he's here this morning. And um, I, was, I said this last night, um, it, you know, we have, we have beautiful revelations around um, the presence of God. We sing a lot of them. Uh, but sometimes I, I wanna really lay hold of the words that we sing in the scriptures that we know, and one of them is better is one day in your courts than a, than a thousand days elsewhere. Like, that's such a beautiful song, you know? Better is one day in your courts. Better is one day in your house. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand days elsewhere. Now, the Levite that penned it, it's, a, it's Psalms 84. He was, he was in an environment by the altar of God where the presence of God was present. He was especially near. He who is everywhere was somewhere. And this brother took out a pen, whatever they had, and he starts scribing what he's experiencing. And he says, and this will eternally be true because it's in here. He says, better is one 24-hour period, space and time, better is one 24-hour period than a thousand 24-hour periods elsewhere. What's a thousand 20-year uh, I'm sorry, what's 1,000 24-hour periods? If you do the math and you divide 365 by 1,000, it's like 2.7. So it's just shy of three years. Better is one 24-hour period 
in your presence than three years anywhere else. Now, I just went to Cinque Terre, Italy, on the central coast, and walked the streets where they had gelato, gnocchi, and Italian-made pizza with my wife for 10 days. It was a Disney movie. It, it, was, it was like we were, it was otherly. It's this national park, there's five cities, you hike between it, you, you hike the cities and you eat so much gelato and gnocchi that you actually take the train back, you don't hike back. <laughs> we went to Tuscany, we went to the, the, the wine country and they're internationally known for, my small yay man, they're internationally known for their wine. And, and it's beautiful. We were on bikes and they had these, these uh, pine trees that looked like mushrooms or umbrellas and we're driving around. I felt like we were in a movie, me and my wife. It was awesome. But scripture says better is one day in the presence of the Lord than three years on the central coast of Italy with my wife in Cinque Terre eating gnocchi, gelato, and homemade pizza. Now, there's, there's something that he knew that we must discover. Because we'll sit in awkward moments of silence. We'll sit and let Oscar play over us. We won't sit and go, when is he going to get up to preach? When is this going to be over? We're going to sit with the revelation of he's here. And I was made to behold the one that just came into the room. I was made for it. Oh, does your face melt and, you know, do you, your hair catch on fire every time it happens? No, no. Do you get carpet burn on your forehead every time he walks in the room? Oh, hopefully, but it, in the same psalm, he says, my heart is set on pilgrimage. What does that mean? It means my heart, my heart is set to pursue you. I've been ruined for anything else. And this is our wiring. This is how we were made. You were made to be transformed by the presence of Jesus. His presence comes through scripture. His presence comes through song. Um, this thing is not a science. It's an art. It's a romance. It's a person that we're in pursuit of collectively. And we need one another in that pursuit. You can't do it alone. There's something about the corporate gathering. He says in Matthew 18, where two, three, or more are gathered, I am in their I mentioned Acts 3, 19 through 21, where it says, uh, you know, repent and return. And, and there's three dimensions of the repentance and returning. The first is forgiveness of sins, which oftentimes that's, that's how the gospel's presented. You're a sinner, you need a savior, his name is Jesus, which is awesome. Um, the, the next connects us though to a part of repentance and returning, is that there would be specific times and places where the refreshing presence of the Lord would encounter your heart. 
And then, and then the last part of that verse is that Jesus would come forth from heaven and restore all things on the earth. So there's this past, present, and future reality in that. Um, and the word for refreshing there, it means to make something hot cool. It means to, uh, to change the temperature. And, and I, I can't help but think of last week when we talked about uh, Genesis 3, um, I think it's Genesis 3, 6, 7, 8, 9, when, when God would show up to Adam in the coolness of the day. Do you remember that? Last week we talked about Eden. Um, if, if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to listen to the message. It's pretty foundational for us as a house. But um, the, the short short of, of last week is that um, when God created the earth, specifically Eden, um, God the ancient readers who were reading Genesis 1 and 2 would have understood that any God that starts creating something isn't specifically creating it for people. He's creating it for himself. That, that God was building a sanctuary for him to dwell in. Man was there. Creation was there. But ultimately, it was a place and space in time where God could rest. That's why the seventh day is God resting, not from work. He's resting in his work. His work was to build a home for himself. He wanted to dwell with and walk with man. And sin separated man from God. That's why God is saying, where are you? Because they were hiding from him. And, and, and God's design reveals God's desire. God's design of Eden revealed his desire to have a place and space in time to rest. That desire is still present in him. And you, if you're born again, are his temple and he lives in you and is with you. But he's also in us and he's with us. And so there's something about the distinguishing mark of his presence upon his people. It's his resting. And I think God has many homes with his name on the outside and he lives in those people but there's few that he actually rests upon. And I believe in Dallas, Texas, he's called us to build a habitation for himself. That Edenic reality of Genesis one and two, God building a home, a resting place, that, that is our desire and what we're doing here. And so if Eden was the first sanctuary, what I wanna to talk to you today is Adam being the first priest. What's a priest? A priest is someone that ministers to God and ministers to people. It's a mediator. It's someone that, that is between God and people. And we are a royal priesthood, amen? amen? And so understanding Adam's first mandate as a priest in the garden will help us understand how we relate to the Lord, how he relates to us, and how we relate to the world around us, specifically the relationships that are most paramount in our lives. And it, let me tell you what the most paramount relationships are. Um, if you are a husband, the most paramount, significant relationship is your wife. If you're a wife, the most paramount, significant relationship is your husband. The next would be the fruit of you becoming one, and that's children. So then you have mothers and fathers. Uh, and I want to talk about how we as husbands and wives and mothers and fathers engage the presence of God as priests on the earth, and we build homes that are marked by the presence of Jesus. And I want to. I want to. I just want to. I want to state the importance of it. Um, I want to state the 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 we as parents specifically, we must build around the presence of Jesus. In this hour, in this day, with content, and if we're, uh, you're at war with this as a parent. 
<laughs> I could put up statistics, the number of hours that we spend with our kids, that they spend in environments like this, and the number of hours currently that kids spend with this. And I, I just wanna, I want to present to you the solution, and I believe the solution is the presence of Jesus. And I'll, 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 I'll prove that to you scripturally. Okay, so Adam, in the garden, um, Genesis chapter two, if you're there, say amen. 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 Okay. Um, So I'm gonna start in verse four. This is the account of the heavens and the earth. And no plant of the field had yet sprouted for the Lord God had not sent rain upon the earth and there was no man to cultivate the ground. But amidst used to rise from the earth and water the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living thing. The Lord God planted a garden towards the east in Eden and he placed the man whom he had formed in that garden. Out of the ground, the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight, good for food, the tree of life, in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So back in verse five, it says that that no shrub of the field had yet sprouted in the earth, no plant of the field had yet sprouted. For the Lord God hadn't done two things. He hadn't sent rain on the earth and there was no man to cultivate the ground. Now that word cultivate, it was man's assignment to cultivate the ground, to work the ground. That word, um, it's cultivate and keep. It's two Hebrew words. and I would pronounce them, but I will mess them up. Um, and they can easily be, oh, you've got it, okay. Uh, cultivate and keep, respectively, Abad and Shamar, can easily be and usually are translated serve and guard. When these two words occur together later in the Old Testament, without exception, they have this meaning and refer either to Israelites serving and guarding, uh, obeying God's word, or more often to priests. So this word cultivate is a priestly term who serve God in the temple and guard the temple from unclean things entering into it. Therefore, Adam was to be the first priest to serve in and guard God's temple, uh, which is Eden. Um, And that's a guy named J.K. Bill, who's like some awesome stuff on this. But the point is that Adam was the delegated authority on the earth to tend to the Lord and keep what the Lord had created to be his house. What was his house? Eden. What was Eden? A garden. Now look at the interesting detail in Genesis chapter two, starting out, verse five. I'm gonna read it again. Now no shrub of the field was yet in the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted. Now what is a garden made of? Plants. So although there's a garden that he put Adam in, it's not bearing any fruit. Are you with me? Do you see that? Okay, it wasn't bearing fruit for two reasons. God had not sent rain and God had not created this priestly, authoritative workman of that garden. And so God would do that. We read that. God would send a mist from the earth And then he would create Adam and then things began to sprout. That is the scripture that we just read. So I was thinking about this and I'm a visual, I'm a visual learner. So 
I was praying and I saw some Sharpie markers next to my desk this morning at 9.40 and I made you a masterpiece. I believe I did. Did y'all get my picture? Is that a no? Jazzy? Oh my goodness. Oh, good. Oh, yes. All right. There it is. Look at that. All right. So what this is saying, what this is saying is God created a garden called the earth. And the earth was dependent upon two things. It was dependent upon God sending the rain and man cultivating the ground. And when those two things happened, the earth would produce vegetation and fruit. So the point is that the earth's potential, everyone say potential. The earth's potential was directly connected to the authority that it was subjected to. Earth's potential was directly connected to God playing his part and Adam playing his. And from that, trees and vegetation came forth. Now, now this is a natural principle that's still at play today. Because I believe in in Genesis chapter 2, 5, Um, the internet existed in the earth. That man's been cultivating the earth for its potential and the apples that would produce apple trees became apple juice, which became apple pie. Right? Are you following me? Like, Like working the earth, the earth's potential, we're still unlocking it. That we have electric cars now. It's just, it's insane, the potential of what God put inside of the earth. He was done creating day seven, his home, and he put man as a priest to develop. And this is, this to me is, is a, it's the greenhouse of God's government, and it unlocks the potential of things. Now, the gospel's in this. The gospel's in Genesis 2-5. It's actually throughout scripture. You know what happened? Well, I won't go day three, but this is the gospel. I put this down here. Um, And that's why I put one, two, and three, because the spiritual principle is that rain is what? Holy Spirit. And there was a second Adam, and his name was what? Jesus. And you and I are dust, which we're made of what? Earth. And so the gospel is that you're born of an incorruptible seed, and as you submit that to soil like the upper room, God sends forth his spirit and the lordship of his son, and you start to manifest the potential of a born-again believer. Your your potential as a human being is directly connected to you encountering the presence of God and the lordship of Jesus and his word growing forth in you. One plants, one waters, but only God causes causes growth. This is a spiritual principle that, that is, it's so paramount to understand. So this puts a whole new lens. Let's talk husbands. Let's talk, about, let's talk about loving our wives. Go to Ephesians chapter five. Because, oh wait, why I'm talking about marriage is, is in his temple city that is Eden, in his temple city, God gave us an institution. In his, in his home, he said, it's not good for you to be alone, Adam. Even though God was with him, he says, it's not good. I'm, gonna, I'm literally gonna create a helper for you, which is Eve. Now this was pre-fall. 
And what's amazing to me is Adam and Eve were booted out of the garden because they broke fellowship and then this plan of redemption comes forth. But do you know what survived the fall and they could take with them? Marriage. Which tells me that in our marriages, we can taste those realities together. Because, listen, no matter what culture tries to do with marriage, it can't redefine it. It's not cultures to define. It wasn't given by a government. It wasn't given by, it it just wasn't. God's, God gave us this institution. And it's not that institution without him. Like when you fell in love and you're like, "Ah, I'm gonna give you my life, I'm gonna give you my life, we're gonna be in this together. God Almighty was going, okay, your yes is weak, your yes is weak but mine's strong. And I'm, I'm, I see the potential of what can happen, the two becoming one, I, I, I'll, I'm, yes. It's not covenant, it's not an earthly covenant, it's a spiritual heavenly one. That's why the two of you become one in his eyes and that's where sexuality, if you wanna view proper sexuality, Genesis 2, 22, 23, 24, that is the framework for our sexuality. Part of the fall and sin have impacted two major areas, husbands and wives and our sexuality. No more do we need, uh, nothing more in our lives do we need the presence of Jesus and the truth of Jesus than in our marriages and in our sexuality. And every time Paul, Jesus, would point to marriage and defining marriage, they would use Genesis 2, 24. For this reason, a man leaves his mother and father and is joined together with his wife and the two shall become one in flesh. They keep pointing back to the original intent and order for marriage and sexuality every time. People ask me, what's sexual immorality? Anything that's not found in Genesis 2.24. Anything that's not found in Genesis 2.24. It's the original intent. Man, wife, covenant with him, in that context, the nuclear power of your sexuality can be used because the two of you will become one in my eyes. Outside of that covenant, it is a nuclear power that destroys, divides, conquers, steals, kills, and ends in utter death. So if you're sexually broken, you're in the right place because you're made of earth and Jesus and his lordship by the power of the spirit want to restore your sexuality. Like they genuinely do. They, they, they are concerned about your sexuality. Your sexuality is spiritual. It's not just a physical thing that you're doing. You, you are, yeah, I'm, I, that's another sermon. So in the context of marriage, I'm talking about spouses, husbands, wives, flip over to Ephesians 5. Think about subjection, like subjecting ourselves to one another. And this thing has been really misused in the church. But in the context of Genesis 2, 5, let's read Ephesians 5, 22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. 
But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be subject to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church, and he gave himself up for her, verse 26, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the word, of the washing of the water with the word. This is Genesis 2.5. This is Jesus authoritatively sending forth the spirit and his word, cleansing and washing. But check this out. It's unto, verse 27, that he might present to himself the church in all of her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife, he who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. And then he quotes Genesis 2:24. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined together to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This, is a great, this mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Verse 27 is the result of the church submitting to Jesus. There's a glory that comes forth and radiates from within her. And that that glory and that, that beauty is unto his work. He presents her to himself. When you came to the Lord, you were a condemned home. (laughs) I don't know why the Lord chose me. I wouldn't have chose me. I'm beyond a fixer-upper, but he and his love and his work has formed and shaped something in me because he's merciful and kind and forgiving and tender and loving and lowly. And the Bible says that husbands, we need to love our wives in the same way. I have this deep conviction, it's not just a revelation, it's a conviction that when I stand before the Lord in that day, Michael Miller, no one will be there but me before the Lord, that he's gonna look at my wife first to see how I served him. What did he put inside of her? What am I called to cultivate, grow, serve, encourage, empower? What does that look like in the context of my marriage? I, I take that Genesis 2-5 principle and I ask the Lord all the time, Lord, give me insight to who you designed her to be. Give me insight to know how to serve her, Lord. What radiance have you put inside of her, Lord? How can I, how as she's submitted to my leadership, how does my leadership propel her to be who you designed her to be? My bride presenting my bride to you and all that you placed within her, the potential. She's not here to serve me. I'm here to serve her and to love her. And the only way that can happen is not by me seeing her from my lens, but me seeing her from his lens. I need to catch his eye for her. And so husbands, do you have a plan for that? Like, like, I felt like the Lord wanted me to ask some questions. Um, do you pray with your wife? 
Do you have a Sabbath with your wife? Do you have a list of things that you're contending for her and for you guys together? Uh, is there a history that you're developing with God? Outside of environments like this, like uh, are you once a week, is there a night where you just put the kids down and you're like, hey, well, let's just sit before the presence of the Lord. Let's listen to him. Let's listen to what he's saying about us and our marriage and our family. Like, I want to encourage you, husbands, take that leadership. Take that role in your house. Be the priest of your home. Create a place where the presence of God can be like a greenhouse for your home. Don't delegate it. You can't delegate it. I'm not the priest of your home. You are. The children's ministry, they're not the priest of your kids. You are. And they need and must encounter the presence of God. <laughs> I, I want to talk about kids, just time's sake. Um, but before I do, singles. I told you I was going to give you a little nugget here. Um, Genesis 2.4. Do you know what? When Adam... I love this revelation. When, when Adam, when God saw Adam was alone and he said it's not good, do you know what he did? Put him to sleep. Amen. Guess what? He's asleep. He's at rest. He's asleep and he woke up and he goes, whoa, man. Oh, what is this? Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Meaning, rest. Stop trying to flex your way into that thing. Rest, rest in him, rest in, rest and pursue him. And as you rest, just look to your side and all of a sudden you're gonna go, hey. <laughs> Am I right? There's just so much like get this app and do this thing and da 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 and rest. Rest. All right, kids. First Samuel chapter three. First Samuel three is the prophet. Samuel, he was Hannah's son, a promise. And Hannah um, dedicated Samuel to the Lord. And what that meant is, is that Samuel would grow up in the temple of the Lord. And um, in verse two, it says, it happened at the time Eli was lying down. Uh, the lamp of God had not yet gone out and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of the God was. And the Lord God called to Samuel and he said, here I am. And then he ran to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me, but I didn't call you, go lay down. So he went and he laid down. The Lord God yet again to Samuel, called him. So Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But he answered, I did not call you, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel, this is verse seven, so I'm reading all this. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor had the word of the Lord yet been revealed to him. But you gotta see that Samuel was sleeping next to the ark. Samuel was being raised in an environment near the ark of God. What's the ark of God? It's the presence of God. And here in God's timing and his sovereign plan, Samuel 
Eli, did you say my name? No, go back. Samuel. Eli, did you say my name? No, go back and lay down. For the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed, but God was gonna reveal himself to Samuel in this text. So the Lord called Samuel again, third time. And he arose, went to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. Then Eli discerned that the Lord was calling the boy and he said, go lie down and just say, speak for your servants listening. And the Lord began to speak um, to Samuel. Uh, you know, the, the prayer for my kids right now that are next door. My kids, maybe more than anyone in this room, uh, they're PKs. They're PKs. They're around all these wonderful young adults. Um, they're in this prayer room. They're traveling with us at times. They meet some amazing men and women of God. But my prayer for my kids is that, Lord, you would take them behind the veil. You take them behind the veil. I can put them in environments, but only you can reveal yourself to them. I need you to speak to my kids. More than, do they know scripture? Yes. Do we watch VeggieTales? Yes. Do we send them to VBS all the time? Yes. Are they in Power Upper Room Academy? Yes. It's not enough. And I, I learned this last night. I'm, I'm going to end with this, this point. But you know that scripture, it says, it's, it's Proverbs 22, verse 6. It says, train up a child in the ways of the Lord, and when he's older, he won't depart from it. You know that scripture? So... Um, I recently had someone tell me uh, about that word, train up. And it's, it's, it's only used train up one time and it's in this text. All the other times it's used, it's, a, it's a, a, a title of dedication. It has to do with houses of the Lord. Like they, they dedicated the house of the Lord. They marked the houses of the Lord. And, and the Hebrew word for train up, um, it... It has to do with a marking, and, and you're marking something. And, and it, it, it actually has to do with the mouth, that, that you're marking the mouth or something. What's, it, it says this, that um, it means jaws or palate to put something into the mouth. To give, to be tasted was a common metaphor. And so when you're dedicating something, you're, you're actually marking it with the taste of that thing that you're marking it with. Now, he, here's how this plays out and train up a child according to the way. Um, after the birth of a baby, this is, uh, this is you know, Hebrew words are, 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 uh, have pictures. And one of the pictures this word paints is what Hebrew moms, midwives do to babies once they're born. So check this out. A Hebrew midwife, after the baby was born, would dip her finger in uh, oil and would take that oil and rub it on the the child's lips and inside the mouth. And what the midwife was doing was teaching the child to suck. It was, it was how they would prep them to nurse. And then they would give the baby to the mom and the baby would begin to nurse. And so the point is that that midwife was developing, helping the child develop a taste or thirst. And I believe this train up a child and when he's old won't depart. I believe that picture is our children getting a taste of his presence, getting a taste of his nature in environments like this. It's like the Lord just 
and he, he whets their appetite for him. And it says, when they get older, they won't forget that thing that they've tasted. They won't forget it. And, and this week, I, I mentioned my kids, this week, um, my kids are in prayer meetings all the time. God bless them. Um, and this week, I've, I don't know what happened to my, my youngest, uh, my youngest son, Freeland, is, James is, is six. He likes fishing and football. That's all he talks about, fishing and football. How was school? Good, are we gonna go fishing today? Um, how was school? Is there a football game? It's just, that's all he thinks about. Well, prayer said, I don't know when they're in this week, but he got in the car and like, how was your day? Prayer was amazing. What, what do you mean prayer was amazing? It was just people were, he starts describing the environment, starts describing the songs that we're singing. I don't know, prayer was amazing. What do I think happened? I think the Lord went. I mean, shortly after he got home and he said, are we gonna go fishing? You wanna play football? Right? But something, there's something that whet his appetite. And I, I believe, I watch it all the time. People that grew up in the church left and have been wayward and then they come into an environment and that, that taste that they had when they're, it's like, Oh God, this is the sweetest taste. This is what I was made for. So what's my point? My point is as priests of our home, we have to put our children in environments where the presence of God is moving. I oftentimes, there's times when God's moving in this room like throughout the day and because my kids are PK kids, one of the privileges is I can just go take them out of class and I just come and have them sit next to me. Why? Because God's in the room and I just want them to be in proximity to his presence. So I could teach about unity in the presence of God, Matthew 18. It's about unity. It's about him being in our midst where we agree. Um, and then I just wanna list off all these other things real quick. I think you guys have this. Uh, this is all the things that I could teach for the next couple of weeks. The presence of God is the presence of truth. It's the presence of the Lord. It's the presence of freedom. It's the presence of power, of understanding, of counsel, wisdom, strength, revelation, fear the Lord, knowledge, grace, holiness, beauty. Mountains melt in the presence of God. It's the presence of rest, the presence of humility. It's the presence of heaven. It's the presence of resurrection. It's the presence of gifts, words of knowledge, presence of increased faith, gifts of healing, gifts of miracles, prophecy, discernment of spirits, diverse kinds of languages, interpretation of those languages. It's a presence of fruit, which is the presence of love, the presence of joy, the presence of peace, the presence of patience, the presence of kindness, the presence of goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's the presence of joy. In his presence is fullness of joy. It's the presence of peace, presence of righteousness. And ultimately, it's the presence of glory. And I believe it's the presence of Jesus himself. People living in proximity to the presence of Jesus. That's who we are. That's why we do what we do. For husbands and wives, for mothers and fathers. So Lord, mark us again with your presence. Mark couples that are hopeless with your presence this morning. May it be sticky. May it be sticky. May environments like this be sticky. May, may it bother us, Lord. May it irk us where we're not experiencing your presence regularly. Lord Jesus, teach us how to be stewards of the presence of the Lord in us and with us. 
Um, for anyone that's not born again, the Lord wants you to be his temple. He wants you to, to be his home. He who's everywhere wants to rest somewhere and he's paid a lofty price to rest in your heart. And so if you've sat through this service this whole time and you don't know if you're right with God, um, get right with him today. Get right with him. Our prayer team, can you guys come forward? We have a prayer team. And uh, can you just put some music on, like some soaky music type thing? And, and uh, we'll just kind of keep a holy environment here. But was this morning, were you blessed this morning? Okay. Um, so if, if I'm going to have you respond this way, if, if, if you specifically, it's been a while since you've tasted that oil in your mouth, you've tasted it before, but just like, Lord, I want to, I want to reconsecrate and commit my life to this pursuit. Would you just stand to your feet and I want to pray for you. If that's you, thank you. <clears throat> I just want to pray for, for you that um, <clears throat> you know I saw the I saw on some of our foreheads like a mark that the world's put and it's just it felt like it represented just thinking ways of thinking and I saw the Lord take his thumb and just wipe your forehead with oil and I just want to declare there's 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 fresh oil being placed upon your mind that, that there's renewal of mind and that you, you were, you were created. You were created for him. And we just return back to you, Lord. You would forgive sin and you would refresh minds. Uh, thank you for these ones, Lord, these priests. If it's husbands, would you anoint them to be transformed husbands? Lord, if it's parents, would you anoint them to be transformed present, uh, parents, Lord, that are marked by you. So uh, we say yes and amen to what you're doing and what you're leading. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer, these guys can pray with you. Um, if not, meet someone new. Thanks for coming up, room. We love you.